The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 24 Up on the Roof Orpheus sat on the roof of the saloon where he had been playing piano earlier that day. Word had spread fast about the fight, and as Henry took bets for Monday night, Colin played bodyguard and bouncer. Colin had begun to worry about the amount of money coming in and how to keep it safe. He borrowed a shotgun and a lockbox from the saloon owner, who was happy to be selling out of everything at twice the price, so he was ready to help in any way he could. Orpheus was trying to help too, but people wanted to buy him drinks or get him to arm wrestle. When someone demanded he do a backflip for them, Colin shoved him into the back room and told him to get lost. Orpheus would rather be alone anyways. He was happy to be relieved of the obligation for the night. He climbed the stairs to the rooms, shut and locked the door behind him. He could still hear the cacophony downstairs, so he grabbed his bag. It still had his book, his harmonica, and a mostly new roll of Necco wafers. He opened the window and climbed out onto the roof. The sun was setting, and he found a spot to sit and watch it. As he looked out across Carson City, so different from Hong Kong, yet he felt somehow the same desire to leave, to find another world. He would never betray Colin and Henry, unlike the teachers at the opera company. They were his friends. They needed him, and he would be there. But he knew that once again his life was being defined by what he was not. He was not the Colorado kid. Odysseus sat on the roof of the telegraph office with his homemade telegraph machine. The apparatus was connected to wires running in and out of the telegraph office. He tapped quickly away on the machine, finishing his article, hopefully in time to get it into the papers Monday. Maybe even a special edition for tomorrow. He brushed the thought aside. He finished, then detached the wires and began to pack away the machine. It fit into a box he carried on his back with straps. Making his way to the ladder, he leaned against the building, his only way up and down. There was a woman standing at the bottom. Odysseus ducked out of sight, and he waited. After some time, he peeked out to see if she was gone. But she wasn't gone. She was looking right at him. He ducked back down again. You know I can see you, she called out. He stayed quiet. How long are you going to make me wait for you? She called again. He peeked over to see her. She had her hands on her hips and was tapping her foot, looking up the ladder at him. Come on down here so we don't have to shout at each other. We're not barbarians. I don't know you, and you don't know me, so just go away and forget about this, yelled Odysseus. You are Oscar Wachowski, but these days you call yourself Oscar Rightway. You have been missing for the last four years after you disappeared from West Point. You're now working as a reporter. Your articles are mostly about a boxer named Handsome Jim, and they have been published in papers around the world. Your current series is especially popular in London and India. They're reading my stories in India? Yes, they're very fond of boxing there. How do you know all this? Who are you? 
It's my job to know things. I'm a detective. She held up a small silver badge for him to see. They don't hire women as sheriffs in this city. I don't work for the city. I work for Alan Pinkerton. Now, if you wouldn't mind coming down from there so we can get going. I'm good up here, thanks. I would like your cooperation, but of course I could just have you arrested. For what? Theft. What have I stolen? Well, you've hooked up a device and sent a telegraph without paying for it. Yes, but I didn't steal anything. You didn't pay for anything either. So let's call it tampering with the post. That's a federal crime. Not until Monday. This is still only the territory of Nevada. Well, you seem to have it all figured out, don't you? I have thought of everything, Odysseus said proudly. Did you consider this? She kicked the bottom of the ladder. It slammed against the wall, paused for a moment, then began to fall away from Odysseus. He reached for it, but it was too late. The ladder fell slowly at first, then slammed to the ground as the girl stepped aside. She walked to the back door of the telegraph office and pulled at a ribbon around her wrist. A key tied to the other end popped into her hand. She unlocked the back door of the telegraph office and went inside. Odysseus craned over the edge to see where she had gone. A moment later, she reappeared. She had a large bag and a chair. She set the chair facing him and sat down, retrieved a blanket from the bag and wrapped up in it. She then pulled out a set of knitting needles and a scarf she had been working on. She began to knit. What are you doing? asked Odysseus. You're a smart guy. I'm going to assume you know what knitting is. Then you must be asking a bigger question. Like, what am I going to do about you? Am I going to wait right here for you to decide what you will do? You can promise to go with me quietly and give me no more trouble, at which point I will give you back the ladder and you can come down safely. Or you could jump. It's not that far. You probably won't break anything. Or you could wait till I'm done with this scarf and I will send for the sheriff and see if he can come up with a crime to charge you with. I warn you, though, I knit very fast. Oh, balls! She looked at the scarf and frowned, then began undoing several lines of needlework. She began again from the new spot. Only a little setback. I'll be done soon, and then I'll have to send for the sheriff. She sat in her blanket on a chair in the street, knitting a scarf, with the ladder at her feet. She had him trapped. The front of the building had a sign which made it impossible to climb, but if she wasn't watching, he could hang down the sides, then fall to the ground and run. Quietly, while keeping his head down and out of sight, he crossed to the right side of the ledge and began to climb over, when he heard a gunshot ring out and a piece of the brickwork near his hand exploded. The girl stood below him with a small revolver. Now, I'm not the best shot, but I'm better than you. I've seen your marks. You were a fine student, top of your class, except in marksmanship. So don't try to sneak off, or I will be forced to shoot you. She put the gun in the bag with the knitting and picked up the discarded needles and scarf. Oh, heavens, look what you made me do. She once again unraveled a section of scarf she had been working on. Starting over, she looked up at him. At this rate, I'll never finish and you'll freeze up there. Oh, well. She continued to knit. Odysseus peeked over the edge at the woman. She was young and well-dressed. She looked to him like a doll that had been left out in the yard by a careless child. 
How had she outmaneuvered him? What kind of woman works as a detective? What kind of agency hires one? He had been beaten, he thought, because he didn't have enough information. He needed to know more about her. If he consented to this small battle, he could win the war later. Lose now? Win later, he thought. Win what? he asked himself. Shut up, his mind ordered another part of his mind. You always ruin everything. Okay. I give up. I will come with you, he called down. No tricks? No tricks. I can still shoot you any time I like, you know. I know. You win. No tricks. Good. And just in time, I'm done with this scarf. She put away the needles, and holding the scarf in the crook of her elbow, she raised the ladder back within Odysseus's reach. He strapped the telegraph to his back and climbed down. Odysseus held his breath as the girl stepped close to him and wrapped the scarf around his neck. Honestly, you're going to catch your death of cold if you don't dress warmer. She stepped back to admire him in the scarf and smiled. What's your name? he asked. Lucy, said Penelope. For the first time in his boxing career, Achilles began training for a fight. He'd run off two sparring partners and busted three heavy bags before Finnegan wrapped a couple of blankets around a walnut tree and let Achilles pummel it for a while. His sides burned, and he could feel the sting of the broken rib every time he breathed. But that didn't weaken his assault on the enormous tree. Every time his fist slammed into the trunk, Every branch shook, and more little green orbs fell to the ground. You're too dim to see you've been beaten, Colin's voice reminded him. Everyone in this tent knows it! The tree shook. The Colorado kid. What a joke. Okay, he'd been surprised, but that waif had gotten lucky. In a real match, you can't kick people, you can't double-team them, and you can't run away. Too dim to see. Too dim to know, said his father. Achilles remembered standing in the drawing room of his father's home, before boxing, before the accidents, before the train. He was young. His hair was shoulder-length, a light amber. He wore a suit he had tailored to fit him, snug around his tall, thin frame. There was lace on the collar and cuffs of his dress shirt. His bow tie was silk, and instead of being white, he had dyed it a light purple to match the handkerchief in his pocket and his embroidered gloves. His buttons, watch chain, and the buckles on his belt and shoes were all polished silver with tiny sculpted accents, delicate Celtic knots carved into the metal. He wore a silver bracelet, three rings, and a necklace with the cameo of his mother, who had died in childbirth. "'You're too dim to know what's good for you,' his father yelled at him. "'Please, that's not fair. Hear me out.' "'No! I know all about your foolishness, and I will hear no more. Our family came to this country on the Mayflower. We built this country. We planned the revolution, and we signed the Constitution, and no heir to my legacy is going to spend his life stroking coal into a furnace. 
I don't care what kind of contraption the damn thing is tied to. His father's face was beet red in anger. The steam engine is a miracle. It's changing the world, and the men who drive them are heroes. They go where they please, and they see the world, and everywhere they go, they're treated like gods. Achilles tried to explain. His father slapped him across the face with the back of his hand. I will not tolerate blasphemy in this house. You are an embarrassment to my name. You prance around like a fairy. You dress like a French whore. And now you want to work like a galley slave? Thank the Lord your mother isn't here to see this. It would kill her. Luckily, you already did that, didn't you? Achilles had felt the sting of his father's hand hundreds of times as he had grown up. He felt pride in himself that he never flinched, never backed down. He never cried, and he never struck back. Until this day, his hand flew back and then forward, striking his father as it swept through its wide arc. Achilles barely felt it. His father crumpled to the floor, his head twisted strangely. He didn't move. Achilles bent down beside him shaking him. But he wouldn't wake. That was all it took. One small blow. And he was dead. Achilles felt the tree crack. He kept punching. The train hadn't made him a hero. The people no longer looked to engineers like gods. But because of boxing, he was a champion. He was invincible. He was the god he always wanted to be. Or was he? Too dim to see. Boxing had made him a god, and no one was going to take that from him. Achilles hit the tree one more time. It buckled at his fists as it sunk into the wood, like so many of his opponents. The tree fell. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse. Written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. Except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you. <laughs>